Well, good morning. Welcome to our equipping class on parenting. My name is Andrew Ferguson. I'm one of the members here at Delray Baptist Church. So in prior weeks, we have discussed a, a few different topics related to parenting. So we started with the biblical vision of the family. Then we looked at how to manage our time well in parenting. And last week, Dave Sutton led us in considering parenting sins and how we can model repentance to our children. And so this morning, we're going to pick up with the topic of obedience and the heart. So before we do that, let me go ahead and open us with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, and how it directs everything that we do, including parenting. Um, Lord, as we um, examine it this morning, Lord, I pray that you would be with my words, Lord, um, and ultimately that you would spur in us a desire to be obedient to you and your commands, Lord, and a greater love um, to pursue our children in their hearts and to encourage them to seek and follow you. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, obedience and the heart. So parents, uh, raise your hand if you have this topic mastered. So this is why they asked me to teach the class. Um, but seriously, uh, with some parenting issues Kayla and I have been dealing with recently, I was very excited to attend this class. And so when the Holy Spirit through Chris Dish asked me to teach, my thought was, Lord, isn't this a little bit on the nose? Um, Many of the examples we're going to talk about and things that you shouldn't say to your kids um, are things that I have done um, in the more recent past than I would care to admit. Um, but all that to say, this is a topic that we all struggle with as parents. Um, and hopefully this morning we can walk away with some reminders that we can continue to remind one another um, as we seek to spur one another on in faithful parenting. So at the outside, I, I want to make clear that this class is a little bit more theoretical. So there will be some uh, practical application throughout, but Lord willing, in the coming weeks, we'll consider some other more um, practical topics, such as intentional instruction or discipline. Um, but today, we're just going to be focusing on how we should view obedience in the broader context of our role as parents. Uh, so the key idea uh, for this morning, which you'll see at the top of your handout, is as parents, we must encourage obedience and respond to disobedience with an aim to help our children know Jesus. So as parents, we must encourage obedience and respond to disobedience with an aim to help our children know Jesus. So we'll unpack this concept in, in a few steps. So we'll begin by looking at some background principles that will inform our view of obedience. And then we'll consider what obedience is, why obedience is important, how we can encourage obedience in our children, and how we should approach disobedience by our children. So let's go ahead and start with the background principles. So the first one relates to our children. So when our children are born, are they primarily good, primarily evil, or neutral? And some of you may be asking, or saying, it might depend on what child you're asking about. <laughs> Evil. That's right. <laughs> Quick response there. Uh, yeah, the clear answer from Scripture is that our children are primarily evil. So whether our si children sin more loudly or more quietly than others, at the end of the day, they are all born fallen sinners. Could I have somebody look up Psalm 51 for me? Thanks, Levi. And then somebody else look up Ephesians 2. Thanks, Mark. 
So Levi, Psalm 51, verse 5, when you're there. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Great. And then Mark, Ephesians 2, if you could read verses 1 through 3. Thanks. Uh, So these two verses combined make clear that we and our children from birth are born in iniquity. So brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. And from the beginning, our very nature is to be sons and daughters of disobedience. It's not as if our children are born innocent and then are later corrupted by the world. This is their natural orientation is to sin. So when our children sin and disobey, we shouldn't be surprised. So telling our children, I can't believe how selfish or disrespectful you're being right now is really just saying, I can't believe that your sin nature is manifesting in this particular way at this particular moment. All right, so principle number one, our children are fallen sinners. So principle number two, we're gonna shift to focus on us. What are, what are some responsibilities that we as parents owe toward our children? Keep them alive. Keep them alive. That's a good one. Teach. Teach. Instruct. Yeah. Great. Discipline. Love. Yeah, those are, those are all excellent. Um, and Merck, Merck covered a little bit of this in the, the first parenting class on the biblical view of the family. But we have provision, you know, providing for their needs, food, water, shelter, protection, keeping them alive. Instruction, so we see in Proverbs, a lot of the instruction that is given is directed as wisdom being passed on from parents. So in Proverbs 1, it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And so these are all meeting needs that our kids have, and it's a special responsibility that we have as parents. But our children's ultimate need, same as ours, is for the gospel. And so as a result, our primary job as parents is to teach and model the gospel to our children. So that's what's in your handout, teach and model the gospel to our children. Our family is our primary mission field. And depending on the size of your family, it may be a rather large mission field. Could I have uh, somebody turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6? Thanks. And then someone else to Ephesians 6. Thanks. Thanks. And then Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Thank you. And then we could also read Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So these passages all make clear that we have a job to teach and instruct our children in the ways of the Lord. Um, 
But that doesn't simply mean just catechizing our children or putting them in a wana or even making sure that they understand deep theological truths. That also means modeling the gospel to our children. So one of the primary ways that our children understand their Heavenly Father and how they are to relate to Him comes through seeing us and how we relate to them and how we relate to God. So this is a sobering responsibility, um, but we'll temper that some here with principle number three. We do not and cannot control our children's hearts or salvation. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So even though we have a significant responsibility as parents to teach and model the gospel to our children, we are not ultimately responsible for their salvation. We can't put that weight on ourselves and say, if our children are not saved, that is our responsibility. Ultimately, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. So we see this, for example, in John 16, 8, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit that is going to work change in our children's hearts and convict them of sin. And then picking up on that passage in Ephesians 2 that we were reading earlier, that we are by nature children of wrath and sons and daughters of disobedience, Paul doesn't pick up and say, but parents, being wise in instruction, are able to change the hearts of their children. Rather, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So a, a key takeaway here is that even if we were perfect parents, so we perfectly taught and modeled the gospel to our children, we could not guarantee our children's salvation. We are powerless to regenerate their hearts. The inverse is also true. So when we imperfectly teach and model the gospel to our children, that does not prevent the Holy Spirit from saving our children. Praise God. So even, if we have, or even though we have a weighty responsibility to parent well, we do not carry the full weight of our children's salvation on our, soldiers, or our shoulders. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that's a bit of a lengthy wind-up, but I think it will help guide the rest of our discussion. Um, are there any questions or comments at this point? Yes? I think I was, like, parents are commanded to discipline and instruct their children, and that always made me wonder, like, did it say to love your children? Um, but, and all of the other things that you should demonstrate, but I think that's just the fruit of the Spirit that's supposed to be in there and again that gets back to the fruit and work of the spirit in all of it and him helping us to demonstrate those things as we should to the kids and our dependence on him even in that plus his work to transform their hearts and show them the light of the gospel yeah yeah as we are becoming more and more like christ we are going to continue to model more and more his love and his view of our children the less we are in God's word, the less we are in prayer, the, re the less we are imitating Christ, the more likely we are to distract and confuse our children. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll go ahead and move to our first substantive uh, section, which is what obedience is and is not. So if you were describing obedience to your children or to someone else, how would you define obedience?
Anyone? Don't run away with a happy attitude. I think that's what my parents taught me. That's great. Uh, that's exactly what we're going to discuss here. So, um, so I'm a lawyer. I like breaking things down into elements. Uh, and so I think there are four that are applicable here. So this, this is what's in your handout. Obedience requires an instruction followed by compliance that is timely with a respectful attitude. So like Elijah was saying, we tell our kids that means obeying quickly the first time and with a joyful heart. Um, so let's break that down. So at the outset, there needs to be an instruction. I think this is important to help distinguish between the concepts of disobedience on, one, on the one hand and foolishness on the other. So those are both things that our children will do, and we as parents need to address both, but we will approach them differently. Um, so to illustrate, when I was fairly young, I had this uh, habit of standing on the arms of our wooden rocking chair at home and rocking back and forth. Um, Clearly very foolish, clearly very dangerous. Praise God, I did not seriously injure myself doing that. The first time my parents saw me doing that, they should have and probably did instruct in wisdom and explain the dangers of what I was doing. But up until that point, I was not disobeying. However, if at the end of instructing me on how this was a dangerous practice, my parents said, don't stand on the arms of the rocking chair, and I did it again, then my actions crossed from simple foolishness into disobedience. And at that point, there would need to be a different response and a different discipline. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised that our kids, particularly our young ones, act foolishly. And we need to be careful that we don't treat what is foolishness on their part and requires instruction as disobedience. So I just want to be careful in distinguishing those two concepts. So we need an instruction. But once we have an instruction, then there needs to be a proper response from our children. And so there are, there are three parts to that response. Um, the first is compliance. This is easy enough. So uh, I asked my five-year-old what obedience was last night, and her response was, it's when your parent or someone else tells you to do something and you do it. Um, so if the instruction is an affirmative command, that means the child must do the thing that's commanded. If it's a prohibition, it means that the child must refrain from the act that is prohibited. <clears throat> so you can think of this um, in the parable of the two sons in Matthew 21. So a father tells his two sons to both go work in a vineyard. One responds no, changes his mind, and then goes and works in the vineyard. The other one says yes, but then ultimately doesn't go work. Um, while there, there are problems with both of those responses, the parable makes clear that it's the son who actually goes and does the will of the father that is more obedient than the one that simply says they will do what the father has requested. So first one is compliance, fairly straightforward. The second is that the, the compliance must be timely. So we would tell our kids that delayed obedience is disobedience. So you... For example, you can't get out of a penalty for paying your taxes late simply because I was working on it. Um, failing to update the tags on your vehicle on time can still earn you a ticket, even if you ultimately do update your tags at a later date. <clears throat> but if your heart is oriented toward obedience, there will be a desire to obey quickly. So could I have somebody uh, turn to Psalm 119, verse 60? Psalm 119, verse 60. Thanks. And then somebody else, uh, Ecclesiastes 5, 4. 
All right, whenever you have it. I hasten and do not delay over your commandments. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Yeah, so if we delight in what the Lord has commanded us to do, if our children delight in doing what their parents have told them to do, they will do so quickly. Um, On the other hand, as Brian Davis put it when he last taught this class, slowness to do what is right reveals a disregard for what is right. So if you tell your kids to clean the family room, and 15 minutes later, they've barely started, That is disobedience, even if they ultimately end up cleaning the family room. Now, be careful. What is timely compliance will vary based on the instruction, the situation, the child. So there will be some wisdom as a parent in what that looks like. But that doesn't negate the fact that timeliness is an important aspect of obedience. All right. So the third uh, aspect is compliance, timeliness and with the right heart posture, namely a respectful attitude. So if you give an instruction to your children and they comply, but with something else, so whining, uh, talking back, rolling your eyes, that is disobedience and must be addressed properly. So on this point, it's important to remember that one of the primary charges that God leveled against the people of Israel in the wilderness was their whining, their grumbling. So in Exodus 16, 8 says, the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Ultimately, a response that is compliance plus one of those other things reveals something about the child's heart, and it is not a heart of obedience. And we, we see this explained in Matthew 15, 8. So this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Obedience requires not only obedient action, but also an obedient attitude. So if your child, if you tell your child to do something and they start stomping off, that is a time to intervene. You just don't let them comply. You call them back. You address how they are behaving because they are being disobedient in the moment, even if they are actually complying with your command. All right, so instruction, compliance, timeliness, respectful attitude. Any questions, comments? Yes? On the first part, like between foolishness and disobedience, if your parents, in your example, probably have no idea that they needed a rule that you could never share those with somebody we're thinking about. Like, how do you balance, like, not having, like, a penal code that's, like, long <laughs> in your house? Because I find sometimes as a parent, like, I can't keep track of all the yeah. And you know, like all the like, how do you think about like balancing that so that you're not just like constantly giving rules that are impossible to keep? Yeah. So, I think as children get older, it's less about individual commands as there are more general commands that they know about, and they know when they are breaking those commands. So, you know, there there might be a command against like not hitting uh, your sibling with a toy. But if you go ahead and slug them with your fist, like we don't need a separate rule for that. When your kid does it, they understand that they are disobeying. Um, And you know know your kids well, you'll know when they understand that they're disobeying and it's not simply them, you know, being foolish as kids are, are, are going to be. That's a good question. Other thoughts, comments? Yes. 
something, there seems to be some more like back and forth of like, well, could I just finish this first before I do such and such? Or I can't think of a lot of examples, but like if it's done in a respectful way, do you think that that is a, an okay thing for a child to say, hey, can I finish my project? And then can I go do such and, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 that's a great question, and I think you're absolutely right that a, a child can respectfully ask for more time, <laughs> based you know to to comply with an instruction, and that kind of goes to the respectful attitude component. So, if a child is saying, "Hey, I'm almost done," you know, putting the last couple pieces on my Lego set or whatever, could I just finish that and then obey? Um, and that's coming from a heart of respect toward the parent and a willingness to obey but just an additional request, that I would not consider to be disobedience. However, if, if the request for not complying right now is very clearly motivated by a disregard for the instruction that's been given, I think that's where, you know, as a parent, you need to demand that prompt obedience. All right. Let's move on to our, our, our second point. Um, so why obedience is important. So to you all, what are some of the ways that obedience is essential to the home, whether that's considering the house as a whole, whether it's parent from the perspective of parents or the perspective of children, why is obedience an important thing for the home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 obedience is a training ground for children. Obedience to parents translates to ultimately obedience to God. Yes, I think that's right. Any other thoughts? Some of these can be quite practical. Yes. Yes. Yeah, peace within the home. It's a wonderful thing, and it comes with obedience. You can also just think about it from a parent's perspective, like it's more convenient to have obedient kids. You know, you can have help in the home when you say, hey, can you clean up this room? And it actually is cleaned up. That's a huge help. Uh, you can think about it from the kid's perspective. Like they may not understand it in the moment, but if you are a loving and caring parent, obedience by them is for their own good and they are helping themselves when they are obeying. And we could go on with many of the benefits that come with obedient children. But the reason there are so many benefits is because that's how God has designed families to work. So this is the note in your, your handout. Obedience reflects God's divine plan. It's written into the very fabric of human existence and that's why God includes obedience very early in the Ten Commandments. So we have the first four commandments that are directed to explaining to God's people how they are to relate to him. And then our very first commandment that regards how we relate to one another is honor your father and your mother. So before we get to murder, before we get to adultery, the first thing that God wants to make clear to his people is that obedience to parents is important. And I think for the reason that Levi was saying, 
if we have children whose hearts are inclined toward obedience to their parents, that sets up a heart that is inclined toward obedience to God. Then, Scripture also makes clear that there are consequences for obedience and disobedience within the home. So, the fifth commandment itself says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And then Ephesians 6.1, Paul doubles down on this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. So here's the, the next point in your handout. Obedient children are promised blessing. It's very explicit in the Ten Commandments themselves, and, and also in the New Testament here with Paul and Ephesians. On the other hand, disobedient children are promised judgment. So could I have somebody turn to Romans 1? Thanks. And then someone else to Second Timothy three. Thanks. So Romans one twenty nine to thirty one. Thanks. And then 2 Timothy 3, 2 through 5. Thanks. So these are weighty passages. We have murder, strife, deceit. And in those lists of things that we're being warned about is being disobedient to parents. These passages are making clear that God takes obedience to parents very seriously. In fact, if we look at Exodus 21:15, it says, "Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death." Now, to be clear, we are not looking to put anyone's children to death for disobedience here at Delray Baptist Church, and this passage is clearly talking about something more than a six-year-old who's acting out in anger. But when we approach the subject of obedience, we need to know that God takes it very seriously. So when we are instructing our children about obedience, we can't simply stop at saying things like, you should obey mom and dad because we love you or you should obey mom and dad because we know what's best for you. Those things may be true, but we need to be clear that our to our children that they need to obey mom and dad because God said so, and that God commanded them to obey because it is part of his good plan for them. All right, uh, a critical note here, this is, this is the last line in the section in your handout. While obedience to parents is important, obedience is not everything. So obedience to parents cannot save our children or make them right with God. Only God's grace can do that. 
We cannot think by simply requiring or enforcing obedience in our home that we can somehow ensure our children's salvation. <clears throat> just personally, too many times while attending a Christian college, I witnessed peers walk away from the faith after growing up in Christian homes as soon as they were freed from obedience to their parents. As Paul Tripp puts it in his book, Parenting, we cannot as parents ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. So enforcing obedience is important in demonstrating God's plan for our families to our children and for revealing our children's sinful hearts and desires and their need for a savior. But enforcing obedience isn't the end of our ministry to our children. So obedience is important, but it is not everything. All right, any questions or comments? Yes. Just in that contrast of the law and grace, and when you show grace in a dis- discipline, enforcing obedience kind of a situation, um, just sometimes it just feels like it's so repetitious, and when are you ever going to get this, that it doesn't feel like a good time to show grace. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you figure that out? Yeah, uh, it's a good question. I think it involves a lot of prayer and divine wisdom. I do want to be careful, though, in, in, in being clear that providing discipline in a situation is itself a dispensation of grace. So an instruction to them that what you are doing is sin, and this is ultimately a rebellion against what God has instituted in the family is an important way for them to understand the gospel. Without first understanding their sin, they are not going to later be able to understand their need for a savior. Um, but yes, to your point, I think there are times that we need to extend mercy to our children, and it's going to vary depending on the child and the situation, and we're just going to need a lot of divine wisdom in that. Yes? I think the repetitive nature, uh, Paul Tripp in his, that same book, calls it you know, God's grace to us as parents, that you may not nail the discipline situation the first time or say things the way you wanted to the first time. You're going to get another chance, right? We don't have to <laughs> score the touchdown. We don't have to make the change in that first conversation because God gives us so many opportunities to talk to our kids about their attitude, um, being respectful or being kind. Um, and so every single one of those opportunities is an opportunity of grace where we can point them to the cross. Um so it is very repetitive, but that's God's grace to us, too, that we get the chance to yeah. have a lot of different conversations with them. Yep, very good point. All right, so let's move to our third point, how we can encourage obedience in our children. You note here that I use the word encourage. So if we take the definition of obedience that we discussed earlier, that it requires a proper heart posture, Obedience is not something that we can make our children's do. The most that we can do is compel compliance. Now, there will be times that we do need to force our children, sometimes physically, to do what we tell them to do, whether for their own safety or for the safety of others. And of course, we do need to respond to disobedience with proper discipline. But we ultimately need to recognize that if we are seeking true obedience, a heart posture of obedience, the most that we can do as parents is encourage that obedience. <clears throat> and there, we're going to look at some specific uh, 
suggestions, ideas for how to encourage obedience um, in our children. I recognize that there are lots of parents in this room, many of whom have been doing it a lot longer than I have. We could spend hours probably discussing all the different ways that we could encourage obedience in our children. And it's also important to note that how we encourage each child is going to vary on each individual child and their age and the situation. So there is a lot of nuance that goes into this. Um, and, and the list that we're gonna go through here is not meant to be either exhaustive or always applicable. But I do think that there are some broad principles that we can draw out from how our Heavenly Father interacts with us that we can apply as we seek to instruct and we seek to model Christ to our children. So we'll start with some do's and then we'll look at some don'ts. So for the do's, first, tell your children that you love them. So scripture is full of passages where our Heavenly Father is communicating to his people how much he loves them. So John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. Romans 6.5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one will, who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Like, the type of love that God is expressing in these passages is unending. And we see God's love even personified in how he responds when Jesus is baptized. What does the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So one important way that we can model Christ's love to our children and encourage trust and obedience in them is to tell them that we love them. We should be telling our kids constantly that we love them while they're obeying, while they're disobeying, while they're just sitting on the couch looking at a book. We should always be telling them and reminding them that we love them. This also includes not just telling them that we love them, but showing them as well. It can be very discouraging for a child if all of their interactions with their parents is receiving commands and receiving discipline. And so it's important for us to be intentional in taking opportunities to demonstrate love toward them, whether that's taking time to bake cookies, go play catch, build Legos, all that is time well invested in demonstrating to our children that we love them. And when we do that, when we tell our children that we love them and we show them that we love them, we are ultimately modeling Christ's love for them and helping them to see in a tangible way that God himself loves them. All right, so first, tell them that you love them. The second, we break this out into three parts, we need to be careful when we give instructions. This is key because when we give an instruction, it binds our children to respond appropriately. And it also binds us to follow up if our child is disobedient. So first letter A to consider when we are giving instructions is to give instructions that are consistent with God's commands. So we directly undermine our gospel witness to our children and also confuse them if we ever command or instruct them to do something that is contrary to scripture. We should be very clear with our children, if that ever happens, that they should obey God rather than us. 
And particularly as our children get older, I think we need to exercise humility. If our parent or, or if our children push back respectfully to something that we've instructed based on something in scripture, we need to be in a position where we can hear that humbly and receive it as necessary. All right. So commands that are consistent with God's commands. Two, we should, or this is letter B in your handout, we should give instructions that are clear. It is hard, if not impossible, um, for children to obey unclear instructions, um, and, and in many ways, it's even unjust. So our legal system recognizes that people cannot be convicted of crimes when the law that they are purportedly violating is unclear. And God cares about clarity. So one of the, the, the key ideas that we discussed in our class on biblical interpretation is that scripture is God's clear word to his people. So he clearly, or makes clear to his people what he requires of them, and it also makes clear how we can be saved. And so just as our heavenly father is clear in his instructions toward us, we should be clear in our instructions toward our children. As a practical note, I think this includes not just clear instructions, but also making clear that your child has heard the instruction. So something that we do in our household or try to do is when we give an instruction to our children, we require a verbal response. So please clean the family room. Yes, daddy? Yes, daddy. When we get a verbal response from our kids, that builds a record that they have heard the instruction. So if we need to discipline, it can't be you know, an excuse of like, oh, I didn't hear you, or I forgot, or whatever. Like They understand that they are bound. And it also forces the children to acknowledge that they are bound to respond appropriately to the instruction they've just received. All right, so instructions that are consistent with God's commands instructions that are clear, and the last one is to give instructions that are reasonable. God never asks us to do anything we cannot do. Could I have somebody turn to 1 Corinthians 10? Thanks. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Thanks. So not only does God not ever put us in a position where we cannot resist temptation, he also provides us with a way of escape. And so in the same way, we should never tell or instruct our children to do something they cannot do. And when we ask them to do something that's difficult, we should be prepared to help them obey. All right. So that takes us to our third do, much shorter, is be committed. So if you give an instruction, you as a parent have an obligation to follow through with that instruction consistently. If we fail to consistently enforce obedience, we are conveying to our children that disobedience and sin is sometimes okay. And it can also be confusing to our children if we are inconsistent in our enforcement because it may seem arbitrary to them when you do in fact decide to enforce obedience versus when you decide not to enforce obedience. All right, we'll move down now to our don'ts. Um, first don't, don't provoke your children. 
So this comes right out of Ephesians 6.4 that we read earlier. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we can provoke our children in lots of ways. And when we're, we're talking about provoke here, we're not talking about our children getting angry about a proper instruction, which will inevitably happen. This is us, un, in an ungodly way, provoking our children to anger. And so ways that we can do that is just imposing way too many rules, requiring perfection and, and failing to recognize that they are doing their best, making things unnecessarily difficult, saying things like, when I tell you to jump, you ask how high. All of those things can provoke anger in our children. If a child is attempting to obey with a good attitude, we should encourage them. We also should not impose unnecessary commands on them. Our Heavenly Father doesn't, and we shouldn't either. And fathers, I, I do want to note that this command is particularly directed at us, because this is an area where I think we face particular temptation, and it's also a place where we can uniquely harm our children. All right, second don't, and related, don't be overbearing and domineering. So our children are not our minions. Rather, they are creatures made in the image of God, who we hope and pray we will call brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. So being authoritarian in the moment, in an overbearing and a domineering way, may yield short-term obedience, but it also perverts the picture of how God approaches us. So in Philippians 2, 5-7, through says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. So rather than thinking of our role of parent as being king or queen of the castle, rather our responsibility is to be a servant to our children and modeling that type of humility that Christ exemplified when he went to the cross. And when we are overbearing and domineering, we serve as a stumbling block for our children experiencing God's gentleness and grace. Final don't, don't tell your children to do things you won't do yourself. The statement, do as I say, not as I do, is incredibly destructive because you are both excusing your wrong while at the same time asking or demanding right action on the part of your children. So a simple example, if you tell your kids they can only eat one cookie and then you proceed to eat without limit in front of them, all you are going to do is provoke frustration and confusion. There are myriad examples, so watching TV shows that you tell your kids that they cannot watch, telling them to wear their seatbelt when you don't, or more important things like telling them that they need to be daily in God's word when you aren't yourself, or insisting that they forgive someone when you're unwilling to forgive yourself. Kids will see this inconsistency and ultimately undermines your witness to them of the gospel. Important caveat, there are different rules that apply to parents and kids. So taking the TV example, your seven-year-old might not be ready for the fully extended version of Lord of the Rings. But be ready to explain differences. And if you are requiring something of your children, consider whether it's something you also should heed, either for your own good or for the clarity of your children. All right, that was a lot. Uh, any comments, thoughts, questions?
In the time we have remaining, we'll, we'll move to our last section. So how we should approach disobedience by our children. This is kind of bringing everything together that we've already discussed. Um, but too often I, and when I say I, I assume also we, view disobedience by our children as an inconvenience. So only if the kids would stop fighting, only if they would pick up after themselves, only if they would express gratitude, then our family would work properly. That view of our child's disobedience has it completely backward. When our children disobey, that's parenting prime time. Like that's bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth. That's is the winning drive in the fourth quarter. This is the winner take all shootout at the end of the game. You were created as a parent for such a time as this. The beauty of parenting is that God uniquely positioned you to be his ambassador to the little fallen sinners in your household. And when they are disobeying you is exactly when they need the saving work of Christ on the cross. So take, this is in your handout, take your children's disobedience as an opportunity to share the gospel. That comes both in addressing the seriousness of sin and the justness of punishment to sin, and it also comes when demonstrating Christ's love and mercy through reconciliation and forgiveness. If we are going to do that effectively, and this is the next point, we need to start by not taking our children's disobedience personally. <clears throat> and I'm talking directly to myself right here. It is too easy when our parents disobey to take it as a direct attack against us. So I tell my child to do something simple, pick up your toys, brush your teeth, and they will respond with whining, why, and start to throw a fit. My impulse is to respond, how dare you question my authority? All I'm trying to do is take care of you, and launch into a lengthy soliloquy. The reality is, is that my child's resistance to that command is not directed at me. It's ultimately directed at God and his design for the family. It's not as if the child would have been receptive if somebody else gave the command. They are resisting God's authority in their life, and it just so happens that you're the poor person giving that instruction. So if we take our children's disobedience personally, we are missing out on addressing the more fundamental issue underlying their actions. But to share the gospel effectively, we must address, and here's the next line in your handout, we must address the heart, not just the behavior. So saying things like, don't let me catch you doing that again, I can't believe you did that, or I would never have done something like that when I was your age, fail to address the sin that is ultimately driving the child's disobedience. So one way to kind of tease that out in the moment may be to ask some questions. So taking the example we just discussed of the poor reaction instruction to pick up toys or brush teeth, you might ask, did I ask you to do something wrong? No then why are you yelling at me? Sometimes the answer might surprise you. Um, speak from experience, we recently had a response which was something along the lines of, I don't like being told what to do, why can't I just do what I want to do? Suddenly you're presented with a wonderful opportunity to speak to your child's heart, explaining the goodness of God and his commands, and the need for your child to surrender their sinful desires to him. Now. Not all instances are going to lead to deep conversations that spawn lasting change. Oftentimes the circumstances will be much messier. You will be balancing other demands on your attention, including perhaps other children. 
But the ultimate aim whenever we're dealing with disobedience is not something to shove to the side or deal with quickly, but rather that is an opportunity for us to teach and model the gospel to our children. So related to that, and the point uh, Levi was making earlier that this seems like a very repetitive process, uh, next line in your handout, don't be discouraged. So parenting is often having the same disobedience, the same conversation, the same discipline over and over again. And we may be tempted to think that's because we are failing as parents. So two, two thoughts. First, this is exactly what God does with us. We are constantly relearning the same lessons over and over again, yet he remains faithful and patient with us. Second, going back to what we said at the beginning, we are not responsible for regenerating our children's hearts. We are only responsible for faithful parenting. It is ultimately the Holy Spirit that saves our children, and we cannot weigh ourselves down with the responsibility of accomplishing our children's salvation, which we simply cannot do. Related to that, in our last point, we need to pray. Since only God can save our children, we need to entrust our children's hearts to God through constant prayer. And for us, we need to be in constant prayer before the Lord, asking for wisdom on how to parent well and for forgiveness for those times where we inevitably fall short. Right. Any questions or comments? Um, a few minutes we have left. Yes? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great question. Um, so I think it depends on why the question is being asked and the details of the situation. So if the why is a whine why, generally my view is they don't they aren't asking for an explanation. They're really just opposing what is being instructed of them. But our children do have a lot of questions and legitimate questions, and I think we should always be prepared to answer those questions. Now, in a given circumstance, there are times you might require obedience and say, uh, mommy and daddy will explain this to you later, but for right now, I just need you to do what we said. And our children need to be trained that yes, mommy and daddy love me, and they are looking out for me, and they will provide an answer, but I'm just going to obey them right now. Um, but if you can in the moment, I think it's always great to have that dialogue with your children. Like, God doesn't hide the reasons why he gives his commands toward us, and we shouldn't hide it from our children either. Now, kids will continue to ask questions and questions, so in wisdom, there comes a time where you're like, all right, we need to move on from here, but, but yeah, I think we should be prepared to answer if it's asked with the right motivation. Yes? Yeah. Serving them, doing kind things, whatever, with you need to be doing this for yourself, or you need to also be thinking about how you can serve the family. And, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, one thing I would say is the Lord is kind to us, even when we're selfish. And so, I don't think that we should limit our kindness to our children just because they are selfish. Um, so, I think that's one thing. And the other is, I think. 
when we are ser- having a servant heart toward our children doesn't necessarily mean servanthood always looks like getting your children their food together for them or you know when they need their water bottle going and finding it for them rather than making it, them look for it themselves um, I think there can be times that we are ultimately serving our children if if they're happy for you to do other things that you demand that they are responsible and do things for themselves um, again I, I think that depends on the, on the circumstance there um, I think the, the the contrast though is it's not like you must obey me because I'm mom I'm dad and I am in control or you know you know he who makes the gold, you know, makes the rules, that sort of thing. I think that's what we're trying to avoid there. Yeah. Yes. Andrew, what do you do to help overcome the temptation to view disobedience as an inconvenience? <laughs> so that's a lot of prayer, a lot of reminder. God gave me Kayla, which is a, a helpful reminder in the moment. Um, when I all too frequently respond quickly and in anger rather than seeing this as an opportunity to speak to the the underlying heart issue like this is something we are going to fail at constantly as parents and so i think we just need to to go back one to god ask for forgiveness ask for um yeah other opportunities to do better in the future and then to go back to our children because frequently in those moments we have also sinned against them um and so saying you know son daddy shouldn't have yelled at you um daddy was angry and that was not acceptable um we can talk about you know as dave sutton said la- uh, last week like we can talk about your child's sin at another time but you're going to have to come back to your child and forgive yeah i think another so. thing is priority like i get very frustrated when they disobey when i'm trying to get out the door right because we have a priority we're trying to meet a deadline so there are obviously different ways you'll respond based on outside commitments but they're always going to respond at times that feel inconvenient. And so if you can just have in your mind, like my priority right now is to respond appropriately. And yes, that may mean discipline. That will mean correction. But my heart in bringing the correction needs to be proper. Then you can respond with more patience, even though you are going to be correcting. You are going to be disciplining. Maybe you're going to carry your child and their shoes to the car but your attitude to them will still be one of love rather than frustration if you understand that the priority is that you are teaching them in that moment, not that your priority is getting to the grocery store or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Being, being five minutes late to wherever you're going is not as important against sinning against your child and missing an opportunity to communicate Christ to them. Yeah, yes? That's good. That's good. 
All right, we are at time, so let me go ahead and close us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Father, Lord, and that you continually demonstrate your love and your patience toward us, Lord, even as we imperfectly strive to model you um, to our children, um, to the ones that you have tasked us with, Lord. Pray that you would give us grace and wisdom as we seek to parent well. Lord, pray for our children too, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be working in their hearts and convicting them of sin and bringing them to a saving knowledge of your Son. Um, Father, I, I just pray for the rest of this day, the rest of uh, the teaching of your word this morning, Lord, that you would be with our, be with our church. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.